0: Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teachers. today. It's great to be able to be with you today, at least digitally. Obviously, I wish I was with you in person, but COVID round two, it's a bit of a pathetic dose of COVID, it seems. I'm not really all that sick. I just sound a bit husky, but uh, either way, I'm really excited to be able to give you a message today, and it's a message I think is critically important. I've uh, got my camo connies on, ready to stomp the devil, because that's what needs to happen right here. That is what today is all about, the world, the flesh, and the devil, part two. So let's get into it. Let me pray first. Come Holy Spirit. Jesus, I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for what you want to do in our people. But more than anything, we invite your spirit to come and examine our spirit today. Would you do a work in us, Lord? Would you move through us today? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is what C.S. Lewis says about the devil in the Screwtape Letters, one of his best and most interesting books. He says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Now, I think you would know that for us, both in our culture and in our church, we fit in the first camp. We're more likely to disbelieve their existence. Or to not take them seriously enough. We don't want to do either of those things because there's really there's three ways of looking at me getting COVID this week. Frankly, the first is kind of the scientism naturalism response, which is to say, well, of course you got COVID. It's rampant in South Australia. You shouldn't be surprised that you got it, even though you've had it before, even though you're vaccinated, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We'll just leave that there. The other way of looking at it comes to the same response but with hyper-spiritualism. and says, oh, of course you got COVID. You're preaching on the devil this week. The devil's attacking. In fact, that's why you had a pebble in your shoe when you went running the other day. It was the devil. Uh, That's why. It's why there's dust on the inside of your house. You know, the the temptation to take everything and over-spiritualize it. But there is a third way, and the gospel tends to be a third way. There's a tension between these two things where we realize there's not a devil behind every shopping trolley with a dodgy wheel. But at the same time, there is a devil. And that's what we're identifying. And it's to say in the middle, it is pretty flipping interesting that I got COVID this week, this week of all weeks. That Charlie Burke, who preached last week on the devil, also got COVID. It is pretty interesting that that all happens at once. And there are not many coincidences in the kingdom of God. So why don't we pay attention to that as we get into the sermon today? Because today we're steering straight into it. We are boldly and unapologetically tackling the topic of the devil. We're not going to be afraid. We're not going to be ignorant. We're going to call him out to name him, identify him, and show how to defeat him. Because as Albus Dumbledore might say, fear of a name only increases fear of the thing itself. So last week, and didn't Charlie give such a good word last week, church? Charlie Burke introduced us to the idea of the devil as an ancient enemy of the soul that needs to be guarded against with a terrific overview. Uh, And I want to encourage you to jump on the pod, listen to that on YouTube. Uh, He spoke about how ideas are the battleground of spiritual warfare and that the enemy is looking for opportunities. And finally, he reminded us that neither ignorance nor hyper-fear are accurate reflections of apprenticeship to Jesus, just like we just spoke about before. So let me begin today with a short biography of the devil as Jesus understands him which is our main game as disciples to think like Jesus thought to be like Jesus was and the key here for us is not to imagine him as like a cartoon devil with red skin or Will Ferrell and Saturday Night Live or as this looming force that is like poking and prodding you at every turn in every situation in your life and responsible for all of your bad decisions but to identify and defeat the devil as he really is you with me Good. I want you to be responsive, because I'm not in the room, but you are, and it's good for you. Amen? Good. I'm assuming you all said amen. Let's keep going. So, Satan, a short biography. Sometime between Genesis 1-31, when God made human beings and declared that it was very good, and Genesis 3, 1-5, when there was temptation by the serpent, somewhere in that realm, in that period of time, there was a rebellion in the angelic world, Okay, both 2 Peter and Jude refer to an angelic rebellion and that the sin at the root cause of the angelic rebellion seems to have been pride, the refusal to accept God in his rightful position as ruler of the cosmos, that is, of all creation. And by the way, this is really the root of every sin, but that's a sermon for another day. The name of the being at the head of the demons seems to be Satan, although this could well be a title. In fact, the word Satan, or as it's correctly pronounced, Satan, is a Hebrew word meaning adversary, one who withstands. In the Greek, it's diabolos. That's where we get diabolical from, or the, or the word devil, which again means as a slanderer or accuser. These are the words used around the Satan and the devil. And in this, the satan is used in a heap of different biblical contexts because it means adversary. So when we talk about the devil, it's actually more accurate to call him the satan, like the adversary. The phrase, give the devil his due, that's kind of what we're doing here. We're giving the devil his due for being the adversary. A couple of uh, the devil's other names you may have heard of, Lucifer, it doesn't really mean anything. It's kind of a once-off translation that was used in the King James Version uh, in the book of Isaiah, and it's never used again. Sorry, pop culture, for all the times you've used the word Lucifer. Uh, Beelzebub, which if you've heard, you've either read the Bible or listened to Bohemian Rhapsody. Beelzebul is a uh, is mentioned in one story, although in three different Gospels, and it means Lord of the house, or as Paul might put it, the God of this world. You catching what I'm putting down there? Uh, Other titles given in the Bible include the evil one, the tempter, the destroyer, the deceiver, the great dragon, the ancient serpent. All great titles, like really sweet, sweet titles. You get a sense of the character of the devil from those titles. Now, the Satan fails in his efforts and is cast out of heaven by God. And it is really important to remember here that even though he's a powerful spiritual being, that the Satan is still a created being, just like you and me. He is not equal to God. Like, if you've ever seen those memes where it's like Jesus and the devil arm wrestling, there's no arm wrestle. Jesus is up here. The devil is down there. It's not close. It is not close. The devil was an angel, and his power is limited he does not have the same power as god and so we do not give this creature the same respect as we would give god they are not equals he is a malevolent spiritual being he has power but he ain't god and he's not even close amen you with me okay so being cast out of heaven we're still in his biography here the bible says that his new home and the home of all demons who rebelled with him is hell and they can range from there to influence people in the world. They have a certain degree of power. But here is another important note before we move on. If the devil was involved in a rebellion in heaven before the temptation of Eve, before the creation of humankind even, and we trust 1 John 3, 8, which says that the devil has been sinning from the beginning, then what we discover is that the devil was the original sinner, Not Eve, not Adam, the devil. Original sin did not begin in the garden, it began in the heavens. It began as the devil rebelled against God. Now, why is this so important? It's slightly different, sin in humanity, don't get me wrong, that's its own thing. But here's why this is important. It's important because it means that for us, even though we're responsible for our own sin, if you sin, you are responsible for your own actions, it does mean that there are environmental factors at play working against you actively. That's what the devil's doing. He's working to undermine you. And so since that time, the devil has been doing his best to do his worst and to corrupt people and corrupt their relationship with God. Specifically, as per Jesus, the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. We read about him attacking Job in Job 1. We hear about him tempting David in 1 Chronicles 2. We see that he tragically corrupts Judas Iscariot into betraying Jesus in the Gospels. Peter warns us that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour and he should know because Satan targeted him demanding to have him to sift him like wheat. But Jesus tells Peter in John's Gospel that he prays for him for strengthened faith see friends where the devil comes to steal kill and destroy jesus comes to bring life and life in abundance that's john 10 10 charlie touched on it last week it's an important verse to remember the thief comes to steal kill and destroy the thief here is the devil but jesus came so that you may have life and have it in abundance jesus came in large part to destroy the devil's work that's in first john 3 and three times, Jesus referred to the devil as the prince of this world, which sounds like a compliment until you remember that Jesus is the king over all creation. So it's kind of subtle shade, really. Like, you yeah, might be the prince, but uh, the king's in the building, right? The ultimate future of the devil is destruction. Revelation tells us that when Jesus comes back, he will be decisively defeated and thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur. Now, that's probably figurative, but what we do know is the devil's influence over heaven and earth will be ultimately and decisively finished. He will be ended. There will be an ultimate punishment for the way that he is trying to twist the gift of human free will to his own agenda. How are you guys going so far? Everyone going good. Thank you for giving me 10 minutes about who the devil is. Deeply formative to my faith. We're going to get there. Here's the key point I want you to take from this biography. This is by John Mark Comer, but it's good stuff, good stuff. Number one, for Jesus, there is a devil number 2 for Jesus the devil's end goal is to spread death and for th- number 3 for Jesus the devil's means to do that is lies and so if we if you in this room for me as followers of Jesus if we are trying to hear what Jesus said and do what Jesus did and live as Jesus lived we need to take seriously the threat of the devil because it means that when we believe the devil's lies we're allowing ourselves to be led towards death both literally And spiritually. So let's look at those lies a little bit more with three key Bible texts. First, Genesis chapter three. We've already sort of alluded to it. That's our first key text. The serpent, which both Paul and John separately uh, align with the devil. So the serpent in the garden is the devil. Serpent comes to Eve and deceives her. He says this, Did God really say? Did God really say you couldn't eat of any of the trees in the garden? So often the lies of the enemy come in the form of questions. Questions that challenge the authority of God or even the existence of God and suggest that we have a better idea about our lives than God does. We don't. It didn't work for the enemy. It didn't work for the devil. And it doesn't work for us. So the devil questions the validity of what God said. And then he outright lies. He says, no, 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 you will not surely die. Now, that's a lie. Spoilers, Adam and Eve die at the end of their lives. And then he finishes off his tour de force by telling a truth, but a harmful truth, a truth that doesn't come in the way Eve expects, by saying... You will have your eyes opened and you'll receive the knowledge about good and evil. You'll see the world like God sees the world. Now, that's effectively true, but only the harmful part of it. It's perceived by Eve because she's allured by the apple. She's let the deceitful idea into her mind. She's engaged with the lie. And then the truth that the devil tells her is, oh, you'll see like God. what he means is, you'll see the brokenness that is possible when sin enters the world. You will see, you will see the world like God. And immediately, upon eating the apple, they see themselves as naked. And they feel, for the first time in their lives, a sense of shame. Because the devil loves to bring shame. Remember, he's an accuser. He's a slanderer. What he wants to do is get things in your mind that lead you away from God. And shame, in theory, should lead us to God. Guilt, a sense of conviction, where we go, oh, I have done something wrong in its right way, leads us to God. But shame crushes us by telling us that you are your guilt. That's all you have. And the devil loves to heap shame on people. That might be a word for someone in this room. That's not something I'd have written down to preach. I think for someone in the room today, someone listening online, the devil has been lying to you with shame. And that is something you need to face. Call it out for the lie it is. Repent of whatever has caused the shame and turn back to Jesus. Turn your back on the lies of the devil. Amen. Now, that, whether you like it or not, and hopefully you don't like it, is a tour de force in deception. It's like a lie sandwich. Let me just be the devil's advocate for a second. See what I did there? And, uh, and just, and just talk about what he did. He begins by questioning, and then he lies, and then it's the truth, but a harmful truth. It's like a, a deception sandwich. He deceives so well that by the time Eve has bought into the deceptive idea, she thinks that the truth the devil is giving her is a good thing, when in fact it's a harmful thing. There are many things. I, I could tell you, jump off a cliff and you'll be, have your body broken on rocks at the end, And you'll go, that's a terrible idea. But if I can deceive you along the way into believing that it's a good idea, that's when you go ahead and do it. And in fact, that's a lot of the lies that we live out in our life come from that. He's twisted the truth so that he sees it as beneficial and not harmful. And when enough people do that, we call that the world, what we looked at the first two weeks of this series. It is easier than we think because the devil, according to Jesus, is in fact the father of lies. And Jesus would know because he is full of truth. And this brings us back to the central idea behind Live No Lies. The devil brings deceptive ideas, lies, that play to the flesh's disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. So the devil, the Satan, the father of lies, is a master of deception. He distorts the truth. He outright lies and he makes us believe that God is not worthy of our faith and trust or that we are not worthy of God's love. Those are two of his major weapons. And the big problem with these deceptive ideas is not just that we believe them, it's that we don't know if we're believing them. How do you know if you're following a deceptive idea? Usually you don't. This is what Malcolm Gladwell says about this. Uh, He he talks about this theory called truth default theory. He says this, We do not behave like sober-minded scientists, slowly gathering evidence. Scientists in the room, uh, in your occupation, I'm sure you behave like that. But in your life, you don't really. Because this is what Gladwell says. We actually start by believing. That's truth default theory. And we stop believing only when our doubts rise to the point where we can no longer explain them away. Which is why Christian kids grow up with a default to believe in Jesus. And atheist kids grow up with a default not to believe in Jesus. That's mostly nurture rather than nature. And you've got to begin to ask questions about that. And the satan is trying to get you to ask deceptive questions or answer his deceptive ideas. We are far more emotion-driven in our decisions than we realise, which is fine as long as we know and understand that. Do we know what deceptive ideas are threatening our minds? The second key text is from John chapter 8. Jesus is in an argument with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, about who he is. And at the end of this, Jesus pulls no punches. He really goes in for the kill. He says to them, if God were your father, you would love me. You are of your father, the devil. Tough. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. There's that phrase. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Now, lest you think Jesus is being a bit full on there, in his defense, they had just had a crack at his mother. But this fits right in with what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 where he said the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. If you've ever wondered why people sometimes get weirdly defensive, that is a part of the reason, right? And Paul would know because that was him once. And this is where we see Jesus using that identity as the father of lies. He's accusing the accuser. He says, The devil is not only a liar, he is the father of lies. See, the the father of lies lies about the character and person of God the Father. It's like a distorted version of God. He deceives us by appealing to our base emotions, our base desires. And he turns us into liars ourselves by denying the truth of God and obeying the flesh and the world through the devil's lies. We then have that anti-God system of the world coming about, where up is down, down is up, and evil is good. Wayne Gruden puts it this way. The tactics of Satan and his demons are to use lies, deception, murder, and every kind of other destructive activity to attempt to cause people to turn away from God and destroy themselves. Dark stuff. Let's get into our third key text, and it's from Luke chapter 4, although I could have chosen any of the Gospels for this. It's Jesus being led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, to be tempted by the devil, which is an interesting phrase in and of itself. He's there fasting for 40 days, then in comes the devil. Jesus is physically at his weakest. Spiritually, he is at his strongest. Physically, he is hungry. Spiritually, he is on fire. So the devil comes in and, like with Eve, starts with a deceitful question. If you were the son of God, turn this stone to bread. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8.3, Man must not live on bread alone, very appropriate, while hungry in the desert. The devil counters by taking him whether literally or in a vision, it's quite hard to say, to show him all the world, offering to give them to him. Now, please note, the devil had the power to take Jesus to see this, and Jesus doesn't deny that the devil has the power to give him this. Isn't that interesting? So I said before, the devil is not the same as God. We do not need to fear him or revere him in any way. But we do not need to treat him like God's equal. But we do need to consider him a powerful spiritual entity. He is worthy of our caution. And this is also, by the way, why I call the world an anti-God system. This is what the devil is showing and saying he has control over. So like the last statement to Eve, though, this is a false truth. It is a harmful lie masquerading as a truth. The world belongs to Jesus already. What does he need it from? The devil. So once again, Jesus counters with Scripture. The Shema. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So one more time, the devil comes. Finally, challenges him to give his life up. Because that's Jesus' destiny, right? He's giving his life up. And the devil pushes him there to do it in his timing, not in God's. And he does it with quoting scripture. He says, He shall guard his, he shall command his angels concerning you and they will guard you in all of your ways lest you strike your foot against a stone. He's using scripture to twist what Jesus is going to do. Now that is some deep level deception. But Jesus counters by taking the words of the Bible in their proper context to rebuke the enemy. And he does it with one of the most profound rebukes you can give. Do not test the Lord your God. And after that, the devil leaves him for a time. Now, this is all before his public ministry church. Because before Jesus could defeat the devil on the cross, he needed to defeat him in the wilderness. Before your big spiritual battles, before your relationship feels on the rocks, or before you're having a crisis of faith, or before you're having a moral issue at work, you need to win the battles in your spirit, in your private life. You need to order your private world. See, the spirit of God and the spirit of the Satan, the spirit of this world, the spirit of this age, are are, are clamoring for your attention. One is deceitfully trying to white out your life. The other is quietly waiting like a candle in a corner, asking for your attention, for your devotion. See, we know who has won the victory over the death. We know who has won the victory over destruction. We know that Jesus comes back in the end. But who is winning the victory over your life right now? That's the question I want to ask. That's the critical question. Because it's one thing to identify the devil as a liar. It's another to ask how those lies have snuck into our lives. It's one thing to acknowledge that the world can be an anti-God system. It's yet another to acknowledge that we can be an anti-God system. Coma puts it this way. It's by spirit and truth that we are transformed into the image of Jesus. But the reciprocal is also true. That it's by isolation and lies that we are deformed out of the image of Jesus and into the image of the devil. Because ultimately, if we're not pursuing the image of Jesus, we are being unwittingly deformed into the image of the devil. So let me ask this. What have you been believing, church? Just listen for a moment. I want to throw some examples of lies at you. See if any of them resonate. I can't trust my wife. She'll cheat on me just like my mum cheated on my dad. Good things don't happen to me, so why even try to be successful? My past means I don't deserve to be loved. I can't say or do anything that will make people upset with me. I've got anxiety, and I'm going to be overwhelmed for all the rest of my life. My best days are all behind me. I will never truly be happy with my spouse, so why not just get divorced and seek happiness elsewhere? If anyone actually knew me, they would reject me. Unless I'm successful at work, I'm a failure. My parents told me I was a screw-up, and they're right. I'm not doing anything wrong, why should I feel bad about it, even though I'm getting defensive? I'm useless at this. I should run away and leave. Any of those? Land? Even just a little bit? Here's what I want you to do. If you can relate to one or more of these, or something else has come up in your mind that you're recognising as the deceptive idea while I've been saying these things, I just want you to raise your hand. Just take this moment. Really raise your hand. I know I'm not here. I know I'm just going to keep pushing it because I'm assuming from past experience that it's going to take you a minute to raise your hand. I'd be very surprised if there's people who have not got a deceptive idea right now that is eating away at them like a termite. Now, this is not about prayer. Just keep your hand up for a moment. This is not about prayer in this moment, or even acknowledging sin, although often sin is linked to this stuff. What this is about is acknowledging the deceptive ideas that the enemy is trying to bring towards you, acknowledging the lies that are feeding your life. This is about being able to hear it out loud and name it. Okay, now here's what I want you to do for everyone with their hand up, and really for those of you who didn't as well, because there are deceptive ideas in your life too. If there is something that has struck you, either I've said it or it's come about because of it, I want you to write it down right now. We're going to use this in a moment. Write it down right now. If you're a journaler, write it down in your journal. If you've just got your phone, open Apple Notes, open Evernote, open Google Doc, something And just write down what that deceptive idea was. That's all. I'm going to keep talking for a minute while you do that. Because I want to give you an example of how this can happen. Because most of the lies we hear in our minds are not the ones that create headlines. Right? It's not like the royal family are lizard people. I I put that in as a joke on our Live No Lies promo. And someone really had a go on us on the encounter page. Like, oh, you're going to go to jail for lies like this. Pay attention, champ. (laughs) Most lies aren't like that. Most lies are insidious little earworms that get inside us and undermine us. Uh, They crawl inside our brain. Now, Honestly, let me tell you a story about that. When I was 25, I developed a condition called mastoiditis where the mastoid bone in my inner ear got infected. It's, it's like a next-level ear infection. Very, very painful. But what makes it dangerous is not that you get the infection, that you get the ear infection, uh, it's, how it's that it gets left untreated. That's what's really dangerous. Or it's not taken seriously enough. And then it becomes an infection that spreads to your inner ear, to your brain, and sometimes your entire body. It's actually life-threatening. And for me, it took a long time to identify the problem, I knew I had a headache, I just didn't know why, and then it took a long time for me to do something about it, a bit like the Charlie story last week, this might be a male thing, Um, but ultimately, it required surgery, that is, they had to get behind my ear, cut it open, peel it all forwards, and get into the inner ear to repair it and restore it, and only then did it start to heal, but then, get this, it needed to happen again, Uh, The the surgery didn't work the first time. We need to go back in again and clear it out before it really got fixed. Are you getting what I'm saying here? You see how this relates? It's not enough just to feel the pain. We all feel the pain of sin in life. We need to identify what is the root cause. These are the deceptive ideas. So we've identified uh, identified the lies in your life that the devil has got you believing. That's step one. Step two. How do we defeat them? Well, the poet Mary Oliver once wrote that attention is the beginning of devotion. Or as James K.A. Smith said, you are what you love. What we pay attention to, what we listen to, what we love, what we watch, what we read, is what shapes us. And this is why the primary counterformation to the lies of the devil is to read the truth of the word of God in scripture and better yet to memorize and internalize it. So yes, we've just done four weeks of a six-week series and really all I've told you so far is to come to church and read your Bible. I know it's it's brand new stuff, revolutionary. You've never heard it before. But here's the thing. It's not that you're hearing do this so you're hearing why this is a counterformation action, right? It's not about do it because God says so. It's about do it because it is killing you not to. When you don't gather as the body, you are isolated. When you don't immerse yourself in Scripture and private prayer, the devil is coming at you with, effect, with other attentions. And the number one cause of your attention being dragged away is not outright sin. It's this bad boy right here. So if you can, especially in the morning, put the phone down first and pick the Bible up before that, that's a game changer. So let's just go to the why, okay? If you can realign yourself with God and reject the power of lies in your life, you will begin to trust His good plan for you. Life in abundance, remember? That's from John 10.10. Do you know how I know that? Because I memorized it. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I need to remember that, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy But Jesus came to bring life and life into abundance. Sorry, I just need to fix my husky voice. So just go back to your notes that you wrote down a minute ago. Have a look there. Now, for example, if you feel like the devil is undermining undermining your marriage, you need to memorize and find a scripture like, What God has joined together, let no one separate, in Matthew 19.6. If the devil is undermining your mental health, memorize something like, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, which is Philippians four seven. If the devil is causing you to fear taking a step of faith for God that you know God's calling you to, an obedient step, memorize Psalm 23 verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. It's a, and here's my favorite, though. <clears throat> If the devil is attacking your sense of personal identity as a child of God, either whether you're actually saved or whether you're actually loved or whether your life has meaning, let me give you the gift of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Here we go. Watch this. I have been crucified in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, you see, I just... Did that little flex there to help you understand how much I need that. I memorize that. It's one of the most important Bible verses in my life. Because here's what it it does. It tells me God loves me. It tells me he died for me. It tells me he calls me his own. And it tells me he has given me a purpose in my life. How good is that? That is the sort of thing that Bible memorization is for. So two things I want to give to you here. Number one, there's an app called Fighterverse. It costs like $3. It will help you memorize Bible verses. Brilliant. Number two, there's a website called openbible.info. If you go on that, you can do topical Bible searches. I use this every time I preach, right? So don't feel embarrassed. You just go in and, like, it's like Google, but without the rubbish. Just go in and go straight, sin. It's like, oh, okay, this is what the Bible tells me about sin. And you get a sense of what God is saying through Scripture. Now, you, you then want to take that verse and go back to the Bible and read the whole passage to get it in context. But it's a starting point. And if you can use that with fight then you can get something like taking your anxiety, rejecting it with the truth of the gospel in Philippians 4.7, which says that even if this is what is plaguing me, I know that the peace of God can be with me because he promises it in his word. Amen? That is the gift you can have here. So those are practical tools. Now, as we come to a close, let me tell you, for me, this has been a week of freaking trauma. <clears throat> Fighting with my wife, it's all good now, Um, A bad mental health week, battling enormous self-doubt, just being real honest here, and finally getting COVID. And then to top it off, Gracie had to be hospitalised last night. It's just been a, a crazy, crazy week. I get COVID. Charlie Burke has COVID last week. It's all happening because the devil overplays his hand all the time. He can never resist pushing too far. Some of it might be circumstantial, but it's interesting. It all adds up. So right now, this is not just somebody finishing his sermon. This is not just something to think about. This is something to do. Church, this is something to do. This is your sick pastor huskily doing his best from up in his bedroom with COVID to implore you at the 4 p.m. service. Take This is not just something to think about, this is spiritual warfare. In Ephesians 6, Paul tells you to put on the armor of God. You only need armor when there is something coming against you and fight, because Jesus is about non-violence. But when violence comes your way, you better have a defense mechanism. And we are not facing flesh and blood, we are not fighting flesh and blood, but fighting spiritual powers and authorities in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are Those powers that come against us. The spirit of this age versus the spirit of God. You are filled with the Holy Spirit, but you need to do something about it, and so do I. This is critical. Let me tell you, I am sick of the underhanded tactics of the enemy. I'm angry at the enemy. I I love you, church. Don't get me wrong. I'm not angry at you, but I'm angry at the devil. I'm tired of his tricks. I'm tired of ministering to every second person having anxiety. I'm tired of people questioning their marriages and relationships. I'm tired of people believing that the problem is around them, not inside them. And I'm tired of believing the same deceptive ideas in my life that you're believing in yours. It's time to do something about it. And this week, a friend of mine came to me and he said something about his own life, his own journey that stuck with me. He said this, I had come to agreement with a lie. I had come to agreement with a lie. There was something about the lie, the deceptive idea that is stuck in his brain and he had agreed with it. That is how we get the systems of this world uh, being a normalized sinful culture. When we agree, come to agreement with a lie. What are the lies that you have come to agreement with in your life? What are the things, the deceptive ideas that the enemy has been burying into your mind? Like like you've got mastoiditis, but with sin and with deceptive ideas, just burying into your mind. The lies of the devil coming at you, pretending they're truth. He is a deceiver and he always has been. And it is time to break them. As I invite the band to come back up ready to go. We are stepping into a time of ministry. The Reverend Bryant, he's going to come up here now. We are going to step into a time of ministry. It is time to break the lies. It is time to receive prayer in humility, saying, I need you. I need this. Because one of the devil's great tactics is isolation, that you are battling this alone. You're not. In fact, you can't. As a Christian, as a believer, you are designed for community. What has the devil been deceiving you about? Let me tell you this as I finish. For although we live in the flesh, this is 2 Corinthians 3, we do not wage war according to the flesh. That's not who we are as Christians. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, Jesus came to bring us abundant life, church. So why don't we claim that in Jesus' name? The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. And he is still doing his best. But Jesus came to bring life, and life in abundance. Come on, it's time to get some chains to be broken in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you are able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, EncounterAdelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.